Uh, but it has been a, a whirlwind last couple weeks. Uh, we have, oh, let's see, what did it start with? It started with work week, and well, did it start before that? I, I forget. Oh, yeah, we were prepping for the work week, and, and then we did the work week, and, and then we had to clean up from the work week, and then we had our men and boys retreat this past weekend, and then, yeah, sure, let's get up early and come to a, an early morning service here, too. So, yeah, let's just keep it going. You know, so it, it has been quite the, uh, quite the whirlwind weekend, as I said, but that's kind of like how service at camp is. It's just nonstop. And so, so as we, we focus on the, the, the service this morning, there are going to be three main areas that, especially this afternoon, like in the video that I'll show, that are kind of prayer requests for us. And they touch on three main, main things, service, partnership, and vision. And last year, when I visited some churches, I focused on the partnership aspect. That was what my message was on. This year, I'm going to focus on the service side of things. And really in what we call the, or what I'm calling the stewardship of service. And a lot of times we can throw that term around that we were serving the Lord. Or it's a pleasure to serve you. But how often when we say that we enjoy serving others or we sing there's joy in serving Jesus, is it just feigned humility? Or is it that we're, we're doing so because we really need attention? Or we really desire affirmation for what we're doing? Or maybe we, f- we think it's actually quite laborious. And we might have the attitude of Margaret, Margaret Clarkson when she wrote the hymn, So Send I You. The first iteration of that hymn said, so send I you to labor unrewarded. She'd been going through some especially hard things herself. And that was her mindset. She didn't see the missionaries, that she, the, 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 the field that she was connected with, see a lot of fruit. So she wrote, so send I you to labor unrewarded. But she had a change of focus later, and she rewrote that hymn. And wrote, so send I you by grace made strong to triumph. And that's what I want us to understand. Service is not laborious, although it takes labor. And service certainly doesn't go unrewarded, although we may not see those physical rewards right now. The longer that I've been in ministry, especially full-time there at the camp, the more I see service is a gift. A gift that needs to be stewarded responsibly. And so what I want to do today is I want to focus on on three different elements of what that life attitude of service looks like, especially in light of the times in which we live. Now, those three elements should be fairly obvious, especially as we go through this passage, but sometimes there are certain combinations that don't seem that obvious to us. Some we can't understand or that maybe don't make sense to us. For instance, we might not fully comprehend how two 
relatively soft metals like copper and you add just a little bit of tin, then that molecular structure becomes hardened bronze. We might not all comprehend how that all works. Or we might not be able to fathom how did Johannes Gutenberg see a coin punch and the, the, the flexibility that that had and then combine it with the power of a wine press to form a printing press. What, what, what went into that? How, how, how did he come up with that? Or even further, why would anyone understand why someone else would enjoy pineapple on pizza? That combination doesn't make any sense. But seriously, we're not necessarily going to look at, at some unidentified elements of this larger formula but we're going to study, see if it's working here. I'm pushing it. Or I'll say it. We're going to study three indisputable realities that's going to lead to one indelible result. Three realities almost there, with one result. Now, insight in the beginning of this passage that we're going to read here shortly is going to help us understand the purpose of this charge. Let's read together 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister... Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom praise, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, right there at the beginning of that passage, but the end of all things is at hand. That's certainly not the end of the world. (laughs) That's obvious. Centuries. Millennia have gone on since then, and the world has not ended. Rather, it's an indication that all things have been completed to prepare for the imminent return of Christ. The redemptive timeline had been complete to prepare for that seminal moment. Hence, as we'll look at this morning, this should give us the proper perspective for active, humble service in this age, the end of the world at hand. Christ could return at any moment. How are we humbly, actively stewarding service? 
Well, first of all, I would say that we need a focused mindset. Now, when we think of focus, we might think of eyesight. And if you look at, uh, at uh, an eagle or a hawk, they could see a rabbit from two miles away. And because they see in a broader range, even in UV light, they could identify that camouflaged movement two miles away. And it said if they could read, they could decipher newspaper lettering at a mile away. That's focus. <laughs> That's eyesight. That's seeing very clearly. But here we're talking about a focused mindset, not just eyesight. It says, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Three things there, and I know you don't see necessarily three statements there. The ESV says it this way, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So we're going to look at three elements there. First of all, we need to evaluate things honestly. It says, there in verse 7, be sober. Be sane. <laughs> this would probably be more of the self-controlled that the ESV translates. Look at situations with maturity. Don't get <clears throat> distracted don't let a passionate response to things that are around you or a panicked response to things that are happening hinder the correct view of your circumstances. If the end of all things is at hand, if Christ's return is imminent, therefore, be self-controlled. Therefore, evaluate things honestly. Be sane. Don't lose your mind. Be focused, because if Christ is coming, things can't all be that bad. We need to evaluate things honestly so that we then are concentrating spiritually. We're to also not just be self-controlled, but be sober. The opposite of sober is to be drunk, right? Right? So what we're saying here is to don't be mentally intoxicated or spiritually distracted by the things around you, by the world. As you're evaluating things honestly and you're now concentrating spiritually, don't let those other things take your mindset off of what it needs to be even by the good things that are in this world, like service. Do you know how easy it is when there's only two of us at camp full-time to focus on doing the job, on serving people, ushering them out, and now getting ready to serve the next group? And we're serving the Lord and we're being distracted by good service, but we're not concentrating spiritually on why we're doing it. I'm not speaking for Josh, but I'm saying that is, a, that is a, an easy trap to fall into. 
And you might feel the same way in the service that you give. So don't be lazy, be alert, be watchful, concentrate so that you can pray effectively. Here it says, watch unto prayer, but then it's also translated other places for the sake of your prayers. We're evaluating honestly and concentrating spiritually so that we can pray effectively. Because when you're spiritually aware and you're correctly evaluating, you're going to be both informed and intelligent in how you then are praying. It's a combination of that knowledge and maturity, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So seeing the times in which we live, the first element in having a true stewardship of service is to have a focused mindset. Now, if a focused mindset is our primary response, then a compassionate heart becomes our paramount responsibility. This is Desmond Doss. His story was told in a movie several years ago. He was a conscientious objector in World War II. He was a pacifist. And yet he signed up for the army because he wanted to serve his country. But he refused to touch a weapon. So he went in as a medic. And I believe it was the Battle of Iwo Jima where they climbed, I think, a 400-foot cliff. And as soon as they got to the top, they were mowed down. And under withering fire, himself wounded four times, he dragged 75 fellow soldiers to the edge of the cliff, tied them up, and lowered them down by a rope and then went and got more. (laughs) 75 times. He had compassion on those around him. In fact, he was, when he was so wounded that he couldn't go any further, his commanding officers finally sent him down. When he was lowered down, as soon as he got to the bottom, he saw a guy who was injured next to him, and he rolled over to try to minister to him as well, (laughs) to try to fix him up. He had compassion on those around us. Well, we ought to be focused with our mindset, but we have to be compassionate with our heart too. So we need a compassionate heart. And then it goes in verse 8 and says, Above all things then, be therefore sober, watchful under your prayers. But then above all things, primary, be focused. Paramount, be compassionate. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Two statements that I would sum this up with. One, love with no restriction. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. 
for charity, love covers the multitude of sins. That word for, for fervent or earnest, to love earnestly, has the idea of being stretched or to stretch. And that the first thing I think of when I'm to think of stretching, well, the first thing I think of is when I used to do this workout thing called insanity. And it's, it's aptly named, trust me. <laughs> They'd have this 10-minute warm-up that just wore you out. And you're like, this is the warm-up? And at the end of the 10 minutes, you had to do these stretches. And they were the hardest part of the workout. Because you had just gotten your blood flowing, you'd, you, were, you were sweating, and then you had to be still in these poses where you're stretching. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to my, my mind when I think stretch. But, but a universal idea of stretching in effort would be like the Olympic 100-meter dash. When those guys or gals take off, every single fiber, every sinew is stretching complete energy to get to that finish line. It's They are going for it. And when you watch the slow-mos of that, now the real good ones can keep their face kind of (laughs) calm while the rest of the body is just, but a lot of them, they're, they're straining every ounce of energy to get to their goal. That's stretching. But it could also have the connotation to be stretched. And how often... Does loving someone stretch you? When that person doesn't seem so lovely. Well, guess what? (laughs) The command to love is not related to the object of that love. It's the origin of the love. (laughs) And so whether you are stretching yourself or you're being stretched... (laughs) We ought to be loving earnestly. Why? Because love covers. Because it overlooks. Because it forgives. Especially when it's personal offenses. Now I'm not saying (laughs) that there are not consequences for sinful actions. Or potential discipline when it is not resolved. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when someone offends you personally, do you stretch? Do you stretch so that love covers, that it overlooks, that it forgives? If not, every word spoken could be doubted. If not, every action served would be suspect. What's the ulterior motive here? In Christian fellowship, strife, second guessing, that can't be the status quo. No, love must abound. Love with no restriction. Stretch and be stretched. But I would also say, love with no resentment. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now practically express that love. Prove it. Open your heart. 
spend your resources regardless of the money or the time or the energy it takes. You know, true hospitality, or what one author calls it, radical hospitality, what does that do? Well, it could take a stranger, make them your neighbor, and then eventually your family member in Christ. That's the potential for hospitality. In your own home. Now, our neighbors at camp are pretty spread out. <laughs> We're getting to know them little by little. <laughs> Some, oh, they're, they're neighbors off the back 40. Oh, yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> Some at the front of the road. Do we use hospitality to minister to them? And if called upon, do we do it without complaining? <laughs> because if you have neighbors that are complete strangers... You have an opportunity to serve them, loving them, getting to know them, and potentially God's grace transforming them into a brother and sister, not just a neighbor and a stranger. And if we do it with complaining, if we do it grudgingly, we're not complaining about that one-time act of hospitality Now, we're complaining to the God who commands it. It's a spirit of griping and complaining at that point. So rather, we ought to be thankful for that opportunity. You ought to be faithful in taking advantage of those opportunities. And we ought to be joyful that we get to spend at our own expense because Christ paid a whole lot more for you than you will for that meal or for that outing or for that act of kindness. We ought to have a focused mindset. We have to have a compassionate heart, which means we love with no restriction, stretching and being stretched, and with no resentment, spending of our own resources to minister to others so that we can live a devoted life. This is a picture of a French angelfish. You will hardly ever find them alone. Why? Because they live, they travel, they hunt, they defend their nest, always in pairs. They are together all the time. In fact, if one of them dies, the one alone will probably soon follow because they are devoted to one another. They do everything together. So should be our way of life devoted to serving others. You can't find us without an attitude of service to one another. You'll never see us without a focused mindset and a compassionate heart being lived out in a devoted lifestyle. Verse 10 says, as every man hath received the gift. The ESV says, as every man has received a gift. 
Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the first thing I would say is to have a devoted life, accept your grace. There, there as every man hath received the gift, charisma, grace. These are grace gifts that you've been given to utilize in service for one another. So we ought to accept that fact. Verse 10 is very clear. Everyone, everyone has received the gift. Now, there, there's going to be good people differing on both sides of this issue, whether, well, everyone has one spiritual gift or some have multiple. That's not what I'm here to argue In fact, I will not argue that with you. (laughs) What this verse clearly does say is, everyone has at least one. You got it. Now it's up to you to use it. No one is excluded in this. And you can go to the list in, in 1 Corinthians or Romans, and I wouldn't even call those exhaustive lists because even in Philippians, Giving is considered a grace, therefore a gift. So, accept your grace. Accept the fact you have a gift. It's clear no one's excluded from that. Therefore, utilize your grace. As every man hath received... As you've received it, the same way you've received it, how have you received that gift? Did you do anything to earn it? Did you pay for it? No, you've received it freely from God's grace. So use it freely to grace others. It is a, it is a servanthood expression of love then. And we're doing it for others, even so minister the same one to another. It's not for that attention that we talked about earlier. It's not for the affirmation that we need, the pat on the back, okay, you can keep serving now, good job. Or it's not for any accolades or rewards that we might receive as a result of it. Here's your, you know, I didn't get my 20-year pin at Penile. Where's my watch? I don't wear them anyway, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> no, we don't do it for that. We do it for others. That is a focused, compassionate, devoted way of life. And I say we do it for others, but, but the end game is not just for others, is it? Because when we accept the fact that we have those grace gifts and we utilize those grace gifts to serve others, Others, and we are in essence reflecting his grace. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Good stewards, being responsible in the employment of his resources. Those resources are vast, <laughs> they're vast in scope. We see lots of different types of resources, gifts that are given. 
and they're vast in their supply. Because if you accept it, utilize it, you'll be reflecting it because you know why? You might spend, spend, spend. You'll be constantly supplied. You'll be replenished. (laughs) Because his grace is never ending. And it goes on with a couple applications there. Whether speaking or serving. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister or serve, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. When you're speaking, you either do it with Scripture or with the truth that comes from Scripture. You're reflecting the very intent of what God shared with us. That is what you're sharing with others. That's the first element of serving in speech even. But then, when you actually serve, you ought to do it in a way as of the ability which God giveth, with an energy that is only available by him and only attributable to him. (laughs) Our service is not by our strength. Not a focused way of service. Certainly not a compassionate service. And definitely not a devoted service. There is no way that on your own you could stay focused and not be distracted by the world. There is no way on your own that you would constantly have compassion without restriction and certainly without resentment. And there is no way in your own strength that you would be able to stay devoted. No, when we do that, it is only the strength that he can supply. That's how we ought to serve. So I said there were three realities. Focused mindset, compassionate heart, devoted life. But there's going to be one clear message as a result of that. And that comes at the end of 11. Why why do we list all of these things? That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom he praise and dominion forever and ever. This clear message then is an obvious manifestation of these three elements Because when we maintain a focused mindset with compassionate hearts, then our consistent, devoted life will exemplify the power of Christ exalting the glory of God. And all we have to do is consider the author's own personal experiences and his own personal knowledge. Who's writing this letter? Peter. He knew Christ as a man. He was with him. He was called personally by him. He was friends with him. And so that man, Peter, is writing from personal experience because he saw the glory of God manifested through the power of Christ, he saw it with his own eyes. He saw the miracles. He saw the lives transformed. 
And why is that so important to us? It's not just because Peter is a symbol of strength for the church. Upon this rock will I build my church. No, it's because he's a beacon of hope for those who fail like he did. The one he knew and loved so well, he failed at the most crucial of times. And do I not do that every day? Sometimes I feel like it. And that man who failed Christ that miserably can write to do these things so that God in everything could be glorified through Jesus Christ. Why? Because praise and dominion, power and glory belong to him forever. It's with his own unique take that Peter ascribes power and glory to God through Christ. So then, in our own particular environment, in our own unique opportunities, even in the end of the world, may we be faithful stewards of his grace as we serve others through the power of Christ and to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we are truly humbled that you would call us, that you justify us, that you sanctify us, and that one day we too will be glorified. Help us in this life that you've given us to make it count for eternity by staying focused by having compassion and being devoted to serving others to glorify you alone. For it's in your son's name that we can pray this confidently. Amen.